0: talking all things wound care. This is The Pressure Effect, brought to you by Smith & Nephew.
1: Welcome to The Pressure Effect from Smith & Nephew. I'm your host, Dr. David Zabel. Medical devices like feeding tubes, catheters, or oxygen delivery devices are often critical to the health of hospitalized patients. Despite their important benefits, the use of these devices can unfortunately also have negative effects. Medical device-related pressure injuries, or MDRPIs, account for about a third of all hospital-acquired pressure injuries. And on today's episode, we are focusing on how to prevent MDRPIs in patients. Joining us to discuss this subject is Dr. Kelly McPhee, Chairman of the Board of Directors at the American College of Clinical Wound Specialists. Dr. McPhee is here to talk about the impact medical device-related pressure injuries can have on a patient, and how doctors and nurses can be better prepared to treat those in need. Welcome, Dr. McPhee. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me.
0: Happy to be here.
1: So can you share with our listeners a little bit about your background in medicine and about your experience with medical device-related pressure injuries?
0: You bet so i'm actually a nurse practitioner i'm a family nurse practitioner by trade i do have my dnp so i'm sure that's why they said doctor but i'm a nurse practitioner so i don't promote myself as being doctor because i'm not but i am a nurse practitioner
1: you have your doctorate degree Congratulations!
0: <laughs> i do have a doctorate yes but yeah so nurse practitioner i've been a, a nurse for 15 years a nurse practitioner for 12. I actually started off in cardiology and happened into wound care when I became a nurse practitioner. I did a lot of home-based primary care and chronic disease management and that's when I stumbled into wound care and then found my permanent home in wound care.
1: Kelly, how long ago was that when you stumbled onto wound care?
0: Stumbled onto wound care in home-based primary care like 10 or 11 years ago. Found a permanent home in wound care about 6 years ago. And so really that's been my passion ever since. I used to think it was going to be cardiology. <laughs> um But uh, yeah, so now I'm actually the director of wound care for the health system that I work for, and I spend a lot of time focusing on pressure injury and medical device-related pressure injury prevention. I spend a lot of time on the inpatient side, and that's really, truly what my focus is at this point.
1: Pressure injuries are a broad field, and today we're talking about a very narrow aspect of it. Was there a specific patient you remember that you first had that maybe had a medical device, pressure-related injury that kind of got you excited about, wow, this is something to to really follow up on? Honestly, it wasn't a specific patient. It was a specific
0: pandemic <laughs> that really like, triggered it for me. I can remember when we were all following COVID as it's coming. I'm in the middle of the country, so we're watching COVID as it's on both coasts, and we're seeing pictures of patients and healthcare staff. Coming from overseas and I'm seeing pictures of medical device-related pressure injuries on caregivers' faces and things like that. And I'm sitting here and i am I got a long ways to go before it's going to get to me. But we're thinking as a team, we're like, we know we can prevent medical device-related pressure injuries, at least on our staff. What if we start working on something to help prevent it for staff and help prevent it for our patients? Because we know they're going to have a lot of medical devices. These are respiratory patients. So really, that's what hit the ball rolling for us. And set in motion
1: a lot of preventative measures. That's an interesting story. I think there's unfortunately some positive things that came out of that pandemic. And maybe this is as one of that small aspects of that. Can you tell us what medical device related pressure injuries are?
0: So we're used to pressure injuries in the normal sense where it's injury to the tissue over a pressure point. In a medical device related pressure injury, very similar. It's just not over a pressure point. It's injury to the tissue underlying a medical device, and that device might be utilized for diagnostic or therapeutic purpose, but it's going to be something that we're using on a patient. And here in the inpatient setting, it's a perfect example, because most everybody that comes into the hospital has a medical device of some sort, whether it's an IV or a Foley catheter or tons of respiratory equipment like we saw with COVID. So it's skin damage to some degree that happens underneath one of those medical devices.
1: How common do you think these uh, types of pressure injuries or pressure wounds are?
0: Probably more common than we even realize, but statistics show that it's about a third of the pressure injuries that we see, and especially in a hospital setting, it's about a third of the
1: hospital-acquired pressure injuries that we see as well. Do you think that these types of pressure injuries have been documented well in the past, or is it something that's a little more recent to our understanding and our documentation?
0: I think they've been documented as something. I don't always think they were documented correctly as a medical device-related pressure injury. Certainly we've seen an evolution of our documentation even within our own facility. I see nursing staff wax and wane with how well they document. I see a lot of things documented as pressure injuries when they're a venous leg ulcer, for example. So I, I'm sure they've been documented as something. They've just weren't always documented as a medical device-related pressure injury. But I think we see more now and there's been more attention paid to it, especially after the COVID pandemic.
1: Do you think there's some specific location where you're seeing more frequently than others uh, some of these medical device pressure-related injuries?
0: Absolutely. For us, we certainly saw them more associated with respiratory equipment, so certainly on the face. We've seen them on the cheeks. We've seen them on the bridge of the nose. We've seen them on the ears or behind the ears. So certainly, and data will tell us that really the most common places are going to be on the face associated with respiratory equipment as well. But then we also see them with other equipment. It's not just respiratory equipment. We have an ortho neuro unit. So we see medical device related pressure injuries associated with different orthopedic equipment, splints and even cervical collars and things of that nature. So we see them on the legs and lower extremities as well.
1: Are there specific devices that place a patient at a higher risk for a, a medical device injury?
0: I think the most common is going to be related to respiratory, and I think the evidence is there to support that as well. But really, any medical device puts a patient at a higher risk.
1: How quickly can a patient develop this type of pressure injury? How
0: quickly? I think there's studies out there that support that they're going to develop a medical device related pressure injury quicker than they're going to develop a non-medical or a non-device related pressure injury, sometimes even as quicker as two or three days. If they're in the hospital for a couple of weeks, you might see a device-related pressure injury two or three days before you'd see a non-device, but we do tend to see those a little bit quicker. And especially when they're developing on the face, this tissue over your your cheeks and your nose and your ears, that's a lot thinner. There's a lot less that's going to be able to withstand. We see those develop in a fairly short time frame, especially in your more acute patients. When you think about all the other risk factors that they have involved in that process, it doesn't take a whole lot for them to develop some
1: tissue breakdown. Kelly, as medical device pressure-related injuries become more common. Do you think manufacturers are recognizing this problem and working with individuals like yourself to try to improve the outcome?
0: I think now that we've paid more attention to medical device-related pressure injuries and the risk associated with it, I think they're trying to incorporate that into the structure and function of devices that they're, they're developing. We've seen Within our own facility, I work very closely with our respiratory team, for example, and we're looking at different kinds of mask devices that we can use with an association with a BiPAP or a CPAP and things like that. So they're being developed differently to try to minimize the damage that could be caused with the fitment of a mask. So I do think that they're taking that into into account.
1: That's great to hear. Should medical device pressure injuries be staged just like other pressure injuries, or do you think there's some different nomenclature that should be involved?
0: So that's actually a really good question. And we were, so we, I'm going to sidetrack just a little bit here. Part of our education process with our new nurses that we bring into the organization is that a lot of the different units send them with us for a period of time. We had a new nurse with us this morning that was shadowing in this process. And we actually went to the ICU and we looked at a medical device-related pressure injury. So we were really walking through this process just a couple of hours ago. And I love listening to my own wound care nursing staff go through this process so they were educating him, if it's a if it's a medical device-related pressure injury, the first thing we're going to document is the etiology of this, and so it is a device-related pressure injury. Uh, assuming that it's not a mucosal injury, then we're going to stage it just like we would a pressure injury. It's stage one, two, three, four, unstageable. But if it's a mucosal injury, then we're just documenting that it's mucosal. But this was an interesting conversation to listen to, listening to my own staff educate, and I always love watching that and getting to be a part of that kind of fly on the wall kind of scenario.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And some of our previous episodes, we talked about the impact that pressure injuries have on patients and even patients' families and, and the, the setting of a pressure injury. What about medical device pressure-related injuries, their impact on the patient?
0: And I know I, we've, I'm i sure we've all talked about medical device pressure injuries in general can be very costly. And of course, those are the patients that tend to stay in the hospital a little bit longer. So we're adding to their length of stay. They're the patients that are going to come back to the hospital and be readmitted. So we're going to spend more time with them again in the future. But the thing about medical device related pressure injuries that maybe we don't think about with your standard non-device pressure injury, a lot of these, again, because they are associated with respiratory equipment, they're going to, not all, but some are occurring on the face. And they can be disfiguring. Let's say you've got a young child or you've got a kid who's got medical device-related pressure injuries as a result of their respiratory equipment. Parents see that. Maybe the infant doesn't see that, but the parent sees that. So it's something that's going to be staying with that parent for a period of time. Or maybe it's someone my age and I get sick and then I see that and that can be disfiguring and it's going to stay with me for a period of time. And that's a reminder of the care that I received while I was in the hospital over a certain period of time. I do think they have longstanding ramifications if we're having medical device related pressure injuries occurring during a
1: hospitalization. I think that's very well said, Kelly. so myself as a plastic surgeon is always worried about form and function and not to downplay the, the ramifications of a sacral pressure ulcer, but when the ulcer is healed and it's functioning well, most patients are pretty satisfied with the result. When something to this nature with a medical pressure related device injury happens on the face and it's all healed and, cosmetically, it's not the face that you had prior to the injury. The impact can be pretty devastating and outstanding, I imagine, to our patients. Tell us, you already shared with us a little bit about how COVID and the pandemic kind of got you more involved in this aspect of your career. Is there any other specific patient during that pandemic that really stands out that made you realize that this is where your passionate passion is right now? And and how the, that maybe helped drive your ability to keep excited about this problem?
0: When we did receive our first COVID-positive patient, we started proning patients, and our pulmonologists were very adamant that we were going to prone. And we have several pulmonologists or intensivists in our ICU, and they all have their different protocols. And so some would prone for 12 hours, some of the have prone for 14 or 16 so we started the whole flipping of the patient process. And it was very interesting because this was very new to us. We're a level two trauma center here where I work, but we have never really prone patients for ARDS or for other respiratory distress. So it was a new process for us. The whole thing was new I, and I get it. It was new for everybody. But developing a protocol that was going to work in this process and then figuring out how we're going to protect patients in areas that we'd never really dealt with before. You think of standard non-device pressure injuries and like you mentioned, sacral areas or heels. Now we're looking at shoulders and knees and anterior feet. And we we got called into the ICU one day and we're looking at areas and patients in the ICU during COVID were intubated for an extended period of time, far beyond what we ever really did before. And so we're seeing the endotracheal tube securement devices. We usually have the big patches of the very sticky dressings on the face. And so we were trying to implement protocols because they would take them off. And of course, those patients are super sick. And I'm sure it's part of the, the COVID pathology, but it would remove skin from the face. And we're like, "Ooh, that's not good. We don't like that. So we're trying to implement processes then into that protocol. So we started using prophylactic dressings underneath the securement devices. And those really stuck with me because that's not something that we'd ever really seen before, whether it was true pressure injury related to a medical device or it was adhesive related. I wasn't quite sure at the time, but we were like, this isn't going to be something that's going to work out too well for us. So it really got us into this mode of developing our protocol. And so we ended up putting together just packs of prophylactic foam dressings. And we're like, here's your new COVID patient, put them everywhere. And we had diagrams and big teaching moments. And so they're using prophylactic dressings on the face, on the forehead, the nose and the cheeks and the chin, and just all kinds of places that nursing staff were never really used to looking at before and used to having to protect. And it really opened our eyes and changed the way we think about pressure
1: injury prevention. It was very interesting. That's a great story, Kelly. I think your institution is probably very lucky to have someone like yourself. And thinking about this from a more universal perspective, do you know if there's any prevention programs being offered at a more national level to professionals like yourself to give you the skills and tools that you need? Or is everyone kind of developing them as as a, a small unit at your hospital with under the direction of somebody with your expertise?
0: So when I first set out to do this task, Google's everybody's friend, there are opportunities out there to look at. And I think AHRQ has an excellent toolkit that it's massive. It's hundreds of pages. And it walks you through step by step how to build a pressure injury prevention program for an institution. And so I modeled a lot of what we did after their thoughts and their recommendations. I maybe didn't do everything step by step, but I think it's a really good opportunity to see what wound care experts have recommended to utilize and then figure out how it's going to best fit your organization. And then, of course, there's guidelines from NPIAP and EPUAP. And so you just chug and plug and figure out what's going to work best for your organization. And that's what we did.
1: That's great. Certainly, there's a, a multidisciplinary involvement when it comes to treating medical device pressure-related injuries. You talked about your pulmonologists starting to prone patients and the responsibility of the entire team from doctors to nurses and the staff really needs to come together to, to think of the patient as the patient and not just a, a prone patient or a pressure injury patient. So can you share with us some of your thoughts about getting that team involved, the multidisciplinary team?
0: Yeah. And that's one of the things we really preach in wound care. It's truly a team approach. It can't just be something that's a nursing aspect or a wound care team aspect. It has to really be the whole team. And so we work very closely with respiratory. We go downstairs to ortho-neuro and we're a constant communication with our ortho-neuro team. We try to work very closely with surgery because you've got patients that are going to be on an OR table for multiple hours. We do open heart surgeries here, as do most bigger hospitals at this point, you do it open AAA. So you wanna make sure that you've got every team involved that's gonna touch that patient for any length of time so that we're all working for the same uh, benefit to the patient and that's pressure injury prevention. So it's not just a one person kind of thing when we're working on pressure injury prevention, it's everybody. We work with physical therapy, we work with occupational therapy, we bring in dietary and nutrition, it's the whole team. That's the only way that makes it work.
1: Very good. Looking ahead, do you think there are new practices or emerging technologies that will have a positive impact on the way we prevent these medical device pressure-related injuries? Certainly, like for patients that are lying in bed too long, there's some systems that that can follow how much pressure is, how often a patient is being turned as part of the technological advancements. What about for this specific form of pressure-related injury?
0: Yeah. I don't know specifically about a medical device-related pressure injury. If there's going to be, if there's new technology out there, if there is, then I haven't seen it just yet. But in the prevention of pressure injuries, of course, there's certainly new technologies out there that are paying attention to how often your patient is being repositioned. And I'm very excited about that. We're actually working on a contract to bring one of those technologies into our own facility. And there's great evidence out there to support the use of positioning tracking technologies. I think that's going to be great. There's thermographic imaging. There's is great. We're at a great age right now for technology and wound care. I'm very excited about the possibilities as far as that goes. There's subepidermal moisture scanners so that we can see damage day well you can see you can measure the damage days before you can actually see it visibly. So I think we're in a good place right now to be able to implement the newer technology that's coming out to be able to perform better into have better pressure injury prevention programs. I'm excited to see what the next handful of years offer us. <laughs>
1: I think we all are. I think it's going to be the continuing challenge with our hospital systems that continually seem to having a their budgets cut and their revenue stream shortened. The ability for all these new technologies to be utilized and fully help us is going to be an interesting um, wave of the future to see where it goes. That just about wraps up our conversation, Kelly. Do you have any final thoughts you'd like to share with the audience? about medical device-related pressure injury prevention.
0: I think my biggest takeaway is that it doesn't have to be a one-team show. It needs to be something that you utilize everybody in the organization for, even leadership. It takes leadership buy-in to make all this happen. So it's definitely a multidisciplinary approach. And I think that is the key to being successful in medical device-related pressure injury prevention.
1: That's a great way to wrap it up. Thanks so much for joining us, Dr. McPhee. Thank you for having me that's it for this episode of The Pressure Effect. I want to say a big thank you to Dr. Kelly McPhee for joining us today and giving us the tools we need to better understand how to prevent medical device-related pressure injuries. If you're enjoying the show, don't forget to subscribe and leave us a rating or review. I'm Dr. David Zabel. See you next time.